The perfect dining room table is out there waiting to be found on homedepot.com. No, you won't have to build it. Because now at the Home Depot, you can get everything from dining chairs to dinnerware. And with easy in-store returns, bring it back if you do decide to build one yourself. Save up to 25% on select dining room furniture, plus free and flexible delivery. Shop decor now at homedepot.com. More saving, more kinds of doing. Valid on select items online only, free delivery on select items $45 or more. Visit homedepot.com for more information. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts, you can get $25 or more off brand new DeWalt power tools by trading in your old ones. You know, those worthless tools you never use anymore? Yeah, those dusty things can actually save you at least $25 on new DeWalt power tools. Hmm, not so worthless after all. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Offer ends 6 Get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. I kidnapped greatness and left no ransom. I'm a grandson of Muhammad Ali. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. Uh, Justin, good to be with you as always. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing pretty well. I had a good uh, weekend and ready to get into this conversation of the uh, intersection between faith and politics. And as I understand it now, correct me if I'm wrong, this whole episode will be about Amorosa's book, right? <laughs> that, that that's right we're actually doing a whole series for the rest of august <laughs> um uh it, it, it's gonna be about amorosa's book and uh just like amorosa you know we're gonna record everything what other you know there's it's not like there's any <laughs> other important subjects out there this is this is where it's at it's unbelievable uh the although you know that there was uh i read some of axios's coverage and uh, some anonymous Trump staffers were saying, you know, she's out trumping Trump. So like, it's very, um, you, you know, it's very difficult for, to hear, you know, like Sarah Huckabee Sanders or, uh, uh John Kelly talk about, you know, how unprofessional Amorosa was, or I can't believe she did this when it's the culture that they, they've created, but it still is, um, it still is, uh, you know, a, a striking, striking thing. I mean, she she took a uh, cell phone into the Situation Room and recorded. Uh, you don't know what else could have been picked up. There's a reason why <laughs> cell phones don't go in the Situation Room. It's uh, something else. I mean, she, but, uh, she definitely went into this situation, this very uh, serious position that she was in, like it was a reality show, uh, which is is extremely crazy and sad. Thankfully. We have a better book, a more serious book to talk about today and a special guest. And so I'm excited about that. You want to do the introduction, Mike? Absolutely. So we have, uh, as a guest on this episode, longtime friend, uh, 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 author of several books, uh, Daniel Darling, who is the vice president for communications for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Dan is, uh, like I said, author of several books, including uh, the original Jesus, which was his last book, but we have him on today to talk about a book that is dropping 
on Tuesday, August 14th. Uh, so this week, uh, and uh, the book is The Dignity Revolution. Uh, I- I'm excited to have Dan on to talk about this, this book about the importance of uh, dignity in our politics and in our lives. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate it. Now, Dan, it's uh, it's uh, like I said, a real joy to have you on. Uh, I think just to sort of introduce you, can you just tell folks who may not know uh, too much about uh, ERLC and sort of um, and sort of your role there? Just tell folks about kind of your perspective and where you're coming from and, and what you bring to this book. So uh, the ERLC uh, is a, as you said in the intro, is a entity of the Southern Baptist Convention. So we're, we're uh, tasked by the churches of the SBC, so 44,000 or so churches, um, to do two things. Really, we're, we're to represent Southern Baptists in the public square uh, uh, in, in Washington, D.C., so with the administration, with Congress, with uh, the courts, just on a, on a range of issues from religious liberty, uh, human dignity issues, um, international religious freedom, uh, family formation, uh, things like that. So we, we speak for Southern Baptists or on behalf of them, but we also speak to Southern Baptists. So we're tasked also with equipping pastors and church leaders and really everyday Christians how to apply the gospel to uh, the culture to their everyday lives. And so uh, th- that's kind of the two parts of our mission. Uh, and Russell Moore is our president. You may have heard of him uh, a time or two. Uh, and uh, he, he's been here five years and I've, I've been here almost, uh, almost five years uh, with him. So. Uh, so, so Justin, given that sort of, you, you could write about anything, uh, what, what drove you to, to write this book, given, I mean, you're right in the thick of this intersection of church and politics and public life, and you decided to write a book on human dignity and, and what, what, uh, uh, what, uh, what it means for us. Uh, why now? Why, why are you writing this book? Well, I happen to think uh, just it's so important. I, I you know, I, I've been wrestling with the last few years of, you know, as a Christian, and I read in in the scriptures that humans are created in the image of God and they have uh, value and dignity. Um, what does that mean for the way that we uh, do politics or engage politics? And so, you know, I've been someone who's been pro life my whole life. I've been an activist on that, and really see. Uh, in the unborn, I see personhood. I see um, that uh, it's the most they're the most vulnerable members of our society. Um, but also seeing uh, the dignity of of other vulnerable pe- people groups like immigrants and refugees and the elderly and um, you know minorities uh, who are often uh, disadvantaged in our society and just just being torn i think because it seems like you you have to be pulled into one or two tribes that you 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 care about you know the unborn on the one hand or you care about you know maybe the impoverished on the un, uh, other hand uh but i really think the bible calls us to care about both uh it calls us to have this sort of robust ethic of of human dignity. And so I, I really wanted to explore, first of all, like what it means, what does this mean that we're creating the image of God? You know, the theology of that, how does it connect to the kingdom of God? How does it connect to the church and our role uh, on the mission of God? And then just explore several broad issues uh, from, 
you know, abortion to um, immigration and and issues to criminal justice to even the use of technology and maybe what technology is doing to, to us and asking questions about, you know, what is it doing to our humanity uh, and all sorts of issues like that. Well, Dan, that's wonderful. We're going to have you for the uh, for really the duration of this episode. Uh, we're looking forward to digging into the book. We're going to take a very quick break. Uh, to hear from some of our sponsors. But when we get right back, we'll we'll dig in with Dan Darling. Thanks, Dan. We're back with the Church Politics Podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, Justin, I'm struck listening to Dan uh, and this sort of, uh, uh, this arrangement, this uh, dichotomy that he uh, he raises when it comes to how Christians think about politics. And obviously that's something that uh, you think about and talk about on, and have led on uh, quite a bit. Uh, how have you thought about uh, dignity and when it comes to politics and uh, what, what, what question uh, might, might you have for Dan regarding uh, his book? Yeah, very good questions. Well, first let me say, Dan, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, and this was a great book. I really appreciate your work um, and appreciate the opportunity and was honored to uh, endorse this book. You know, um, yourself kind of being on the Republican side of things, me and Michael being more uh, Democrats historically, you know, I think in society, sometimes we tend to seek out people on the other side of the aisle for debate and rhetorical brawls. Uh, but as Christians, uh, we should probably spend more time seeking out people on the other side who are headed in the right direction, who are being intellectually honest so that we can encourage and support them. And so I'm glad uh, to support what you're doing because I think it's really important. And I think dignity is a great way to think about how we approach politics and culture because it puts the focus on people, right? Policy Mm -hmm. and all that stuff is important. But when we talk about human dignity, now we're thinking about people and it allows us to think about um, immigration, criminal justice, uh, abortion and, and religious freedom with people at the center of that conversation. And obviously the, um, the Christian principles that we all believe you mentioned earlier, kind of this false dichotomy and this false dichotomy is really at the center of what the and campaign is about where we've made biblical values and social justice seem as if they are mutually exclusive as if somehow they are in conflict. Um, and consequently, as you mentioned, people uh, tend to people who tend to advocate for criminal justice and humane immigration policy don't advocate for religious liberty and pro-life issues. Why is that? How did we end up there and how do we start to reverse uh, that phenomenon? Well, I think there's uh, there's a, you know, a long and you know, complicated history, you know, uh, that helped form parties and movements on both sides of the aisle. But I do think in the present day, you know, I think part of the problem is that we as Christians are often too catechized by our tribes or our movements than by scripture. Hmm. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I'm someone that believes that we're always being formed um, and discipled. It just depends who's doing the forming. And so uh, rather than Rather than letting scripture shape the way that we view these issues, we, we've let our particular tribes. And listen, you know, people have to pick, you know, in a, in a fallen world, uh, you have to vote one way or the other. You have to you have to choose to be part of some kind of institutions. Uh, I think in, institutions are vital for for human flourishing. Um, but I do think as as Christians, you know, 
first uh, Peter says that we're sojourners and strangers. And if we're sojourners and strangers in this world, we shouldn't ever feel completely at home in any earthly movement. And so if you're a Republican and that's where you have decided to plant your flag, you should always feel a little bit disconnected. You should also, always feel a little uncomfortable. You should always, there should always be things where you're reading scripture and saying, this is where I depart from the people that I typically most line up with. And then same thing if you're a Democrat, that, um, you know, you, you've chosen to, to be in the Democratic Party for a number of perhaps good reasons, but, you know, uh, because of your faith that you, you, there's things that make you uncomfortable and, and, and you see that the party or the movement you're, you're part of, uh, violate scripture. And, and I think human dignity gives us, gives us a grid to do that. I think if you, uh, if, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, as Jesus said, then we should care about the flourishing of our neighbor. We should care about the policies that make up the communities that our neighbor lives in. And Jesus said that our neighbor absolutely is is most likely the person that is the person that we're most likely to pass by or to ignore. And so I think that kind of shapes the way we engage. Can we just take a step back? I mean, so right, both sides of the aisle uh, talks about human dignity. It's invoked for, you know, an array of political causes. Uh, It's used broadly across across different Christian traditions and in other religious traditions. How should we be thinking about... uh, about human dignity. What is it? Where does it come from? And what is, uh, uh, why is it so important for our, our politics in, in a sort of definitional kind of way? I think there's two, two answers to that. I think the first answer, just taking a step back is, um, you're right that, um, you don't necessarily have to be a Christian to talk about human dignity. You know, all, all sorts of people who are activists or care about issues, talk about it. I would make the argument, I make the argument in the book that, uh, the most robust vision of human dignity comes from the Christian story. And I think uh, people who talk about human dignity are actually borrowing from the Christian story without knowing it. And in fact, when the uh, UN's Declaration on Human Rights was drafted in the wake of World, World War II, um, you know, the world's leading ethicists and philosophers were brought together to draft this document. Everybody understood that the document was needed, and it's been very helpful since then to help you know developing countries form their constitutions and use as a basis for war crime tribunals and all sorts of things. Everyone agreed that it had to be written and that it was needed, but none of those ethicists could understand why it was needed. And Gilbert Melander talks about this in his book, Neither uh, God Nor Beast. And I think the Christian story gives us that that reason you know, that that um, God has created humans uh, distinct that. In Genesis, it, it talks about God speaking into existence all of the uh, natural world. But the narrator in Genesis, Moses, slows down when he talks about God creating humans and says that God uh, took his hands and he sculpted humans from the dust of the ground. And, and King David talks about humans being knit together and formed by God in the womb. There's just a, there's just a special assignment that God gives humans. And the second, the second part, to, to your story is, I think we all talk about human dignity, but we we all have people groups that we are tempted to ignore, and this is what I think Jesus is getting at when the f- religious leaders come to him. You know, Jesus says that 
the, the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the religious leaders understood that. They got that. They got human dignity. But they asked the question, who's my neighbor? And when they're asking that, they're not asking because they're curious. They're asking because they're looking for loopholes, right? Like, I, I'll have human dignity for these groups, but certainly not these other people, right? Right, right, right. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and he, he basically makes the case that your neighbor is that person that you're most likely to pass by. Your neighbor is that person that you're most likely to have convenient, good, nuanced arguments to not care for. And that's where I think if we have a more robust vision of human dignity. It really upsets and disrupts our political categories and really moves us out as Christians into the world to come alongside the vulnerable. That's good. Thank you for that, Dan. Um, you know, what I really liked about the book and one of the things that I took took away from it was you weren't only challenging Christians and others to acknowledge human dignity, but to be active in defending it. Uh, this book seems to call for action for so long when it comes to certain social issues. Some Christian groups have been told just to pray, pre and preach the gospel or to be what I call a pious bystander. Uh, why was it important to call for political and cultural action instead of in, instead of just pointing out human dignity? And what scripture uh, do you point to uh, to su- support that assertion? So I would say um, I have a whole chapter on that. In fact, in the chapter three on the chapter on the kingdom of God, if you really understand the kingdom of God, you know, Jesus came and he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you look at the words of Jesus in the Gospels, he's saying two things. He's saying gospel proclamation. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, That entrance into the kingdom is a matter of individual personal repentance and salvation by Christ through faith alone. He says that to Nicodemus, the the most religious person. He said, you too need to be born again. But then also he talks about the gospel of the kingdom and he embodies it in the way that he conducts himself, healing the sick, making the blind see. He's saying, uh, in fact, when John the Baptist was imprisoned, for preaching and he was having doubts, you know, is, is this the Messiah? Jesus sent his disciples back to tell him to say, you know, are the, are the lame walking, are the blind being healed? If so, this is the kingdom of God. And so we, we often separate gospel proclamation from, from embodying the kingdom of God. But if the church is to be the outpost of the kingdom, uh, then we, we show the world a, a small glimpse of the kingdom of God when we come alongside the most vulnerable, when we help heal the sick and 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 speak up for the voiceless. We we show them that this is what the king uh, that we worship is like. And I think it's it's hard to say you know, when people say, "Well, just preach the gospel." Um, I want to tell them I am preaching the gospel mm-hmm. and. To be honest with you, a gospel that does not disrupt us, that does not change the way we live, that does not move us out among the people that Jesus was among, is 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 a, is a truncated gospel. It's a it's a small gospel. I mean, just to be frank, pastors in the antebellum South were pre- just preaching the gospel, but if slave owners could come and hear that gospel and nod their head and say amen and give their tithes, but then go on Monday and whip their slaves and still own slaves. 
you know, what kind of gospel is that? And, and today I think it's the same way, that uh, it should always be disrupting us, uh, and it should always be changing the way we think and changing what, the way we interact in the world. Well, uh, uh, Dan, we're going to take another quick break. When we get back, we're going to pick up on that thread. And I, I want to ask you, as someone who uh, is, a, is a pastor, uh, how, these, how you've seen uh, the, these issues and these ideas uh, move in, in a congregational setting. Uh, we'll be right back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. We're back with the Church Politics Podcast, and we have as our guest Dan Darling, who's the VP at uh, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, as I was mentioning before the break, Dan, one of the reasons I uh, love your voice in this conversation is that you're someone who's you know thoroughly in the public, thoroughly at the intersection of faith and politics, uh, at, given your position at ERLC and your public writing. Uh, but you're also someone who's who's a pastor, who's been the shepherd of congregations. And so I, I'm interested in how you've seen, you know, uh, these ideas work out in that setting. Uh, your book is very much calling Christians to apply uh, explicitly Christian ideas, uh, deeply informed Christian ideas about the, the value and worth of the human person, you know, to our politics. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, un, that's unusual for, for some folks. Some, some folks feel like they've been told that, that they can't bring their faith into politics. Uh, and so talk as a pastor to us right now about, uh, about these ideas and why you think they're important, not just for the life of the country, but for uh, the life of the church. Well, first of all, I think we're always bringing our faith into our politics, um, whether we realize it or not, and we're always doing politics. Um, you know, the gospel is an explicitly political statement that there's another king and another kingdom, and we sing that and say that and hear that every week in church. But I would say there's three three things that I as a pastor try to do and encourage pastors to do. First, I think it's in our preaching. I think. Um, in our preaching, um, we need to, first of all, preach the whole counsel of God, but it's specifically in our application. I think um, it, it's easy for us to preach about issues in the culture that resonate with our audience. So, for instance, if I am in pastoring a church in Berkeley and I'm preaching through the minor prophets, which I should be doing, and I'm talking about systemic injustice, which I should be doing, my audience is going to love that. I mean, they're, they're going to amen that. But I also need to say, let's talk about the injustice of abortion and the way that uh, you know the systems are lined up against the most vulnerable. So I need to prick their conscience on something that they don't want to hear and maybe haven't thought about. Or at the same time, if I'm pastoring a church in deep red Alabama or you know some red state, and I'm preaching on Psalm 139, as I should be, and I'm preaching on the sanctity of life, unborn life, as I should be. I also need to say, if we really believe this, then we also believe that uh, undocumented immigrants amongst us uh, bear the image of God and have worth and dignity. We should care about their lives. And so, in other words, I think a pastor needs to do to follow as the um, uh, the old journalism maxim maxim to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable to, to get us thinking, how, how am I tempted to, you know, dehumanize people in my sphere of influence and also to rate you, you as a pastor, you want to 
raise the imagination of our people. So if you, they get a robust vision of the kingdom of God, it 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 it, it heightens their imagination to, to see what they can do in their sphere of influence. I think secondly, internally, we not only want to go out into the world and the church moving among the vulnerable, but internally, the way our congregations are constructed should in some way embody the upside upside down nature of the kingdom of God. So in our congregations, people should be valued, not necessarily because of their gifting, what they bring to the table or their financial resources, which is very tempting to do. You know, James talked about this uh, in his book to the early church, Um, but they should be valued because they're an image bearer and a son or daughter of the king. So I think of a, of a guy right now in our church who is in the late stages of dementia. He can't even remember his wife's name. He's been a faithful churchman his whole life. You know, he, he, he can't bring a lot of, you know, practical value in terms of, you know, leadership or, or gifting or, you know, a lot of those things that we look for. And yet we need to have a congregation that says he is uh, as valuable to us as anybody else in this congregation. Sometimes the church falls into the temptation of only valuing the, the beautiful and the competent, you know, the way we kind of project ourselves. So I think that's important. The church should be the one place where you're valued regardless of, of your gifting or your, your utility. It should be the place where people are gathered together that wouldn't ordinarily be gathered together anywhere else. Uh, and then the third, the third mm. thing, the third thing when it comes to politics is I think teaching our people, not just to engage politics well, but the way we talk about it, the way we have arguments with each other, the way we engage on social media, that let's have robust discussions and arguments and disagreements but let's see that other person not as an avatar, not as a principle, not as the sum total of their political beliefs, but as a full human. Uh, and that changes the way we engage in arguments. Uh, and I think, you know, we need a more civil but robust public debate. And I think it should start with God's people. Yeah, th- this book has such a you, you would seem like a simple premise, but so powerful and one that we miss uh, in our politics all the time. Uh, in, as we end this this conversation of this interview, one, one more question that, that I want to ask, you know, the, the Bible refers to several examples of false imprisonment, unjust imprisonment, uh, partial judges and in just an unjust legal system. We see that in the Bible and over and over it condemns uh, that type of thing. Uh, today, why is the conversation about criminal justice so important for the Christian witness? Well, I think I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, we we as Christians should love justice because we serve a God of justice. Um, you know, justice reflects dignity not just for the the victim but also for the perpetrator. Um, uh, for the victim, uh, justice says that. Because of your your full humanity, we recognize that, and we will we want a system that discourages or penalizes assaults on dignity. We also see justice. <clears throat> we also see dignity in the perpetrator. That because you're a full human and you're re- you're responsible to your creator, that there's there's penalties uh, for for violating God's sense of justice. Um, and as Christians, we should care about the criminal justice system being just and fair, that punishments equal um, crimes, that they're not, we don't overpunish, uh, and also the outcomes. You know, we should care about the outcomes of our justice system mm. so that um, the people who are cycling through, are they being punished? Number one, is this good for society? But also, that person that is uh, going through our system, 
are we seeking as best we can to rehabilitate them? And uh, are we seeing their full humanity, not just as animals or criminals or, or, or whatever we say? And um, because, because we live in a representative republic, you know, a lot of times Christians will say, well, Romans 13, well, Romans 13 is important because it says that God ordains, you know, the powers that be are ordained of God and that the government, you know, has this power for the flourishing of its people. What we don't understand, though, is that we are the government in a representative republic. It's not just the people in power who will answer to God. We will answer to God because we're a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We share in that power. And so we are responsible for the systems in which, uh, you know, the, the systems uh, that exist. And so I think we really should care deeply about it, care deeply about uh, kind of restorative justice rather than sort of simply just punitive justice. Yeah. Well, Dan, uh, I'm so excited to have you on to hear about your book, The Dignity Revolution, to our listeners uh would really recommend you read this book. Uh, not only will you hear from a, a good man with some good ideas uh, on an important topic, but I think uh, as you read through Dignity Revolution, uh, it, it'll help you ask some good questions of yourself and, and, and what what you think and help you suss out your views, especially uh, for, for those who uh, maybe have just gotten interested in politics uh, in, in the last uh, in, in the last uh, uh, couple of years and, uh, you know, recently. And so uh, out tomorrow, uh, we're, we're recording this on the 13th, out Tuesday, August 14th. So it's out. It's available now. If you're listening to this, you can you can buy Dan's book uh, and check it out for yourself. Uh, Dan, it was so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing your time and your ideas. Michael and Justin, thank you so much uh, for having me and let me have a chance to talk about it. I really appreciate the work that that both of you are doing. Great. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, Justin, uh, I'm glad that we could do this episode uh, for a number of reasons, including, you know, just being able to have Dan on and hear about his book. But uh, it also meant that we only had to talk about Omarosa for uh, a a minute and uh, Space Force didn't come up, although uh, unfortunately, we'll I I think we'll have to cover that some other time. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Thankfully, there is another book out again, The Dignity Revolution. I can I can you know, I endorsed it. I think you should all go out and get it because what Dan does, again, is reframe the issues uh, and seeing people within the issues, putting skin on the policy and the the issues and doing it from a biblical point of view. That's something we really need. And I think it'll make some of the issues you may or may not know where to stand on. It'll it'll bring clarity to some of those issues for you. Go out and get this book. It'll be well worth the time. Great. Well, Dan, thank you once again. Uh, uh, Folks, we'll be back next week to talk uh, Space Force, uh, talk about the midterms, which next week will be less than 80 days away. Uh, And so there is a lot to cover, and we're here to do it with you each and every week. Uh, This is the Church Politics Podcast. Have a blessed week, folks. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment in the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants. It's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, You'll do it right to grow the best garden you can. Lowe's does it right, too, with savings on miracle Grow potting mix with fertilizer to help you get growing. 
and grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants. Pick up a 50-quart bag now for just $10. Plus, get Bonnie 2.32-quart vegetables and herbs, three for $10. For a garden that's worthy of showing off, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 6-5 while supplies last U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Summer's closer than you think. So are Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. With up to 40% off appliance special buys. Like an LG mega capacity top load washer and electric dryer for just $5.98 each. That'll save loads. But hurry, just like summer. They'll be gone before you know it. Today is the day for doing. With Memorial Day savings now at the Home Depot. More saving. More doing. U.S. only wasp last last gas dryer extra. See store for details valid through June 5th. Ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. It's Ryobi days at the Home Depot. Buy a Ryobi OnePlus 2-pack battery starter kit for just 99 bucks and get one of over 20 select Ryobi OnePlus tools up to an $84 value free. The OnePlus system also fits over 125 other Ryobi tools. So now going cordless is almost endless. Buy the battery kit, get a free tool. Ryobi days now at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Valid through June 19th, limit one per customer while supplies last. See store for details. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.